Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles. But always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Rancho de Anaveros in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful Burgundy-inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho Steanaveros wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosteanaveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about Bao's steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, visit slowlifemagazine.com. You've probably heard Ashley Cheney's voice before. Ashley lives in Los Angeles and is a working voiceover artist with credits ranging from McDonald's to Disney. She also hosts red carpet walks, which means she's often the person you see holding a microphone and asking celebrities about their work at premieres. But while she loves her job, Her true passion is food. When she started her podcast called Dear Food earlier this year, she sought to bring her interview skills to conversations with people who love and live for food too. In fact, I know she's an ace interviewer because I was on her podcast a couple months ago and she was flawless. Here you can hear about Ashley's wide-spanning career from journalism student at Cal Poly University to National Geographic intern to George Lucas's assistant, never having seen Star Wars, to becoming the host of a tasty and interesting food podcast. She also does a bit of pro bono voice work for me during the episode. You'll love hearing her process. Okay, here's Ashley Cheney. So Ashley Cheney, where are you right now? I'm in beautiful Beverly Hills, California, Los Angeles. Are you in Beverly I Hills? I am. I get to have that zip code, 90210. How cool. I know. <laughs> is it a is it like a big mansion or are you in a little apartment or what? Oh, you know, to each his own mansion. <laughs> no, it's far from a mansion. It's like, you know, a regular just a regular old Actually, small for us, one bedroom kind of condo sitch that we, my boyfriend and I, um, you know, cram in together. It's nice and cozy. That is so very cool. Um, We met online because you found me and you started a new podcast and we decided to interview each other and I've already been on yours and I loved it and you forced me to think about one subject, which was really great. Um, (laughs) But before we go to that, I want to ask you about what led up to that point. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Chesterfield, Virginia. It's a small town outside of Richmond, probably not one that anybody would ever intentionally visit. Um, But yeah, nice small little town. I have kind of an interesting story in that I knew, I always knew I wanted to come out to LA and sort of do the Hollywood thing. When I was in high school, I had big, you know, big dreams of being an actress. Um, And sometimes I still do. But uh, I left high school, literally the day I left high school, I got on a plane in my, the dress that you wear under the gown that you wear at a graduation, got on a plane and started community college in California the next day, summer school. Wow. Wow. You really were motivated. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to like start my life already. Um, 
So yeah, I didn't, I didn't skip a beat. And that brought me to, when I moved out, I didn't come straight to LA. I moved to San Luis Obispo, uh, which is kind of where our worlds start to collide, um, because my grandparents live in San Luis Obispo. They and live... Uh, mm-hmm. Why do they live here? If you uh, did, So did their son or daughter move out to Virginia, and that's your mom or dad? There, my, no, um, my, oddly enough, my grandma moved back to San Luis Obispo because when she was raising her four children, my, one, of, one of whom is my dad, uh, she, they were a military family and they had passed through really Cayucas. They were staying in Cayucas. Um, and she just remembered so lovingly her time in San Luis Obispo so that when she and my grandfather divorced, she knew exactly, you know, where she wanted to go. It's funny. She and I kind of share this heartstring love for slow. Um, and so it, it, her soul led her right back to San Luis Obispo, which is where she ended up meeting my, uh, he's my step-grandfather, but who she is now married to. Um, and you know, they set up shop in San Luis Obispo and that's how, I got to go out there. Yeah, which is so great. Um, I'm going to rabbit trail a little bit because I saw on Instagram you posted a conversation. I think that's a big word for it, but a conversation you held with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, which, yes. Tell tell people how that happened. Yeah, you know, I guess if I, it was so fun to look back on that um, as an adult. But when I was 16, this this high school that I went to in Virginia, there's um, an opportunity to kind of apply to a specialty center or, or specialty programs right out of middle school so that your high school is kind of catered to whatever track you want to be studying. And I knew right away I wanted to do this mass communications track. And that's where I was going to school so that when I was 16, um, I had some really incredible opportunities. But this, the one in particular was to, apply to you know like write an essay to go up to the capital Washington DC um and with a couple of classmates and have a as you said a conversation with Ruth Bader Ginsburg who was at the time a sitting Supreme Court justice um and it was interesting because I think that this has changed a bit but back then you Supreme Court justices were not allowed to give media interviews. So we were very specifically not allowed to ask any kind of political questions or anything about her you know policy or any any um, arguments that she had or, you know, anything political, basically. So I ended up asking her like a really what I thought at the time was like a soft question because I wanted to be this like hard hitting journalist. And I asked her, you know, what advice would you give to a high school student? And she the answer that she gave me was, you know, I revisited, of course, with her passing last month. And it was so um, poignant isn't even the word. It was like she was speaking from beyond to to share her message and uh it was really special i i I won't try and recap her words but maybe we can link to uh where you can find the interview yes for sure fantastic it was just such a an out of the blue um very cool thing to have you know right in the wake of her death was pretty amazing um so you came out to I, i assume you went to cuesta college I did. I went to Cuesta because, you know, I recommend that for anybody, actually, to get the the junior, you know, prereq sort of stuff out of the way. As you know, from living in San Luis, Cuesta is a great school. Yeah, so I got sure. a couple of associates and it put me right on track to um, if anybody wants to transfer into poly. It's a great route. I actually didn't go directly to poly, um, but I came back after I went to a semester of film school in, L- in L.A. And I was like, this is and I want to go back to slow. I want college. I want a college feel. So really? I came tell running me, back. Tell me about mm-hmm. that. You decided you wanted to venture into film and you, you went down to L.A. And what was that experience like? Well, I always wanted to go to L.A., but thankfully, my grandparents had the wherewithal to tell me, like, kiddo, you, you know, you cannot go directly to L.A. You got to, you know, I didn't even have a car. Like, it was a whole, I had so much learning to do. So thankfully, they kind of reined me in a little bit before I made that move. But after I'd finished all my prereqs and it was time to transfer to a bigger school, I was like, I'm going, I'm going to L.A. And, you know, they were like, okay, it's up to you. And I went down to um, California State University, Northridge, had CSUN, had a really great broadcast TV film program. It's still, it's a great program. But the, it just, you can't, I was so spoiled by, by Cuesta and by Slow and this, this sense of community and really wonderful place to kind of land for a couple of years that it was very, LA was, was so much more jarring than my move from Virginia to California. My move from San Luis Obispo to LA was like, 
total culture shock. And it was important. And, you know, and now I love L.A., but um, it was I wasn't ready for it at 20. So I came back to slow and I finished out um, at Cal Poly and got my degree in broadcast journalism. I worked at KSBY for a, a long time and just kind of whatever media I could get my hands on. That is so cool. What did you want to do once you finished um, at Poly? Well, I knew right away I wanted to, I, I had this dream of being a documentary filmmaker and I wanted to go work for National Geographic and be out in the field, like in the bush with my binoculars doing, I don't even know, I had no idea, but I knew I wanted to work for National Geographic. And um, so while I was at Cal Poly, Little Miss um, Guts of Steel, I'll say it that way, I emailed someone from Nat- National Geographic and say, can I come intern for you? And they were like, we don't have an internship program and you don't, you're, we're based out of New York and we don't know you, but somehow, and I'm like so proud of this, this, the guts of this college girl, but I got myself out there and they started, you know, I got myself an internship with National Geographic for a very poor, poor summer in New York city. And, uh, Thankfully, that one internship was enough to tell me I actually don't want to work for National Geographic. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to tell young people who think that an internship is solely to like fall in love with something and that that one thing is going to propel you forward? Don't you just want to tell them, honey, it could be the biggest bullet you dodge by having that internship and finding out you don't love that thing? Oh my gosh, yes, I think that that's actually a more powerful experience, to be honest with you. Because like, let's say you have an internship. I was a sophomore in college. I wasn't going to be able to start working right away anyway. So if I'd loved that job, I mean, I think it's the best time to, to really try on different careers and, and debunk any of your, if you're like me, delusions of grandeur about a particular job that you thought you really wanted. Totally. I worked in New York City for a time. I had an internship there with an architecture magazine. And um, yeah, that that cured me of my ability. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just so expensive. Like you say, such a poor, yeah. poor time. And New York City is a ton of fun if you have money. But if you don't, Oh, yeah. There's what are you going to do? I mean, there's like not much to do. That's why I love California. It's like you can go for a hike. You can go to the beach. You can do anything. But I'm also kind of not really a city girl. Like I have to admit that I never wanted to say it because I thought that made me sound um, like unworldly. But I I don't really love I like kind of a mellow, slow pace of life. (laughs) Okay, Miss Beverly Hills. (laughs) I know. Well, this is actually Beverly Hills is very, very quiet. Like it's all things considered. It's really mellow. All of L.A. is actually really, though, it's not a big city. It's It's just a bunch of little neighborhoods. Yeah. Yes, it is a bunch of neighborhoods clustered together. Okay, so I I neglected to ask you one question. When you were a kid, especially I'm thinking growing up in Virginia, was there a food that was your favorite food to eat? Do you have a favorite, like you would always ask for it for your birthday or special treat? Yeah. And I mean, it's such a, it's like such a lame answer, but I'm very truly a chocoholic. And so, I mean, there's, there's pictures of me on friends, you know, family vacations with friends. I took my family vacations with, with friends um, instead of my own parents, but they, there's like this giant piece of chocolate cake as big as my face. And so I think Whenever I could get my hands on some some sort of chocolate baked thing, um, and that hasn't left me. That's <laughs> that's very much still true, but I but really the the real answer is like all food. I mean, I love I just love eating really everything, um, with the exception of like some kind of some of the seafood stuff that freaks me out a little bit like living stuff still is not so much and and I'm not a huge fan of anchovies yeah yeah living stuff not so much yeah no offense to those who love it but yeah yeah Yeah. well so so you thank you for that you learned from National Geographic meh not so into (laughs) documentary and then what happened Then I, so, you know, like I said, that was an internship. So I was still in school. So I went back to, um, to school to kind of keep, to get my degree. And while I was going through Cal Poly, I mean, I always, I had like three jobs. I was always working my butt off. Um, one of which was at KSBY and the other was, um, at a small ad agency, S. Lombardian Associates. Hi. Hi, Steve. Yeah. Um, and it was while working at uh, Steve Lombardi's shop that 
sort of kismet took over and and kind of intersected with my life. But I had been their in-house video editor for, I don't know, a year or so and kind of cutting small local commercials. Um, And you'll remember, let's see, about almost about 20 years ago, uh, less than, I guess, 18 years or so, there was a trial, a very famous trial that happened in Santa Maria, the Michael Jackson trial. So for, like I said, divine intervention, MTV rang up Steve Lombardi and Associates and said, hey, do you have any assistance? We don't, we don't have any contacts in this area because there's not a lot of production stuff happening in, on the Central Coast and particularly Santa Maria. So somehow they found Steve Lombardi's phone number and uh, they said, you know, we need a PA. And I was like 18 at the time to work at this Michael Jackson trial. And do you have anybody? And sure enough, I mean, that was my first ever, I think, Hollywood job. But it was enough. It was enough of a credit for me to build a resume because now I had a National Geographic internship and I had, um, you know, a this one little credit for MTV. And I used that to just snowball for all my other jobs. So it was really that was my first kind of gig. And I can only thank um I don't know, kismet for that. Yeah. And so were you mostly behind the scenes or did you ever get in front of the camera? No. In fact, I used to hate even taking photos. I mean, what I, I'm not- what used to be notorious for closing my eyes in photos, like didn't know how to pose. It was a whole thing. Um, so I was always, always working on the production side. I don't, I don't think I even said out loud to anyone that I wanted to be in front of the camera until probably until I was almost 30 years old. Well, maybe 25, 20, 26. Um, but I was so embarrassed by it because I wanted to be taken seriously. And I thought, I don't ever want to tell anybody that I want to be on the other side of the camera unless it's like I'm telling a serious documentary story or, you know, something like that. So um, I, I just kept it a secret for a really long time. Yeah, it sounds... Uh, yeah. It's, it, I don't know you that well. I'm getting to know you better. <laughs> but it sounds to me like there's a theme of wanting to be taken seriously is that a theme for you it is a theme and my counselor will probably have so much to tell you about (laughs) let's get her on the line come on um no I know I think that is a thing I I don't know you know I I'll I will never like point fingers but I think growing up um especially in Virginia if you tell anybody, oh, I'm moving out to L.A., I'm going to I'm gonna work in TV and film, the first answer is honestly like, okay, good luck. And I, I very, I remember that so um, viscerally because when, even when I was first out here, within like the first month, all my friends from high school were saying, are you coming back yet? Are you coming back yet? Nobody thought that I was, here we go, serious about moving out there. And so I, I was very like determined to show at the time, everybody from Virginia, just how serious I was. Um, so yeah, I think that, and then, and then how it continued through my life, I think from that sort of came from the industry and people, you know, there's, there's these dues paying that have to happen. And so you have to work all these production jobs and, and literally people will tell you, you know, everybody wants to be an actor out here. Don't you say that on set? Nobody will ever take you seriously. So that was actually like, ingrained into me from the outside in part of that um and it's just it's scary to to think on your own when you hear that from the people around you who are telling you how to act in this world uh now I think you know you can once you are so confident in your ability to do any one job then you can confidently stand and say I know I can do that and here's what I want to do um so I think it comes with with age and experience and finding out you know who you really are for sure, age brings a lot, a lot to bear on on a competence level. So you, I know that you started the food fascination, really. I mean, it sounds like it's been there all along, but when you started to think of it in terms of a project, like a podcast, mm-hmm. you were doing red carpet stuff. And isn't that part of how you came to decide? It absolutely is. It's it. I don't. I don't want to give all my credit away to Kismet, but again, it's sort of a. It's sort of a divine intervention type story. But let's say. So I'm 34 now. So I started hosting when I was about 30. So that was when I first had the courage to say, you know what, I've done a lot of this production stuff and I really enjoy it, but I actually want to be more people facing. I love people. I love talking to people. I want to do that, and I know how to do the back end. So I want to do the front. So I want to do the other side. So that was like, took me all that time to get up the courage to even say that. So then I was doing red carpet stuff and I quickly realized like, 
it's fun and it's exciting to be on a red carpet and to talk to a celebrity because that was when we'll get real real counselor speak here but that was like an ability for um validation right because everybody from virginia who i hadn't seen or my parents or people who didn't even know me if they saw me and a celebrity it was like oh look at them they're succeeding she's arrived like, yeah yeah I, i'm just talking to another person who's actually the person that's arrived and is actually really doing the work i'm just here you know so it was like this fake external validation um and I did that for a couple of years and I still occasionally will do a red carpet, but well, not that they're happening now in COVID, but um, what I realized was it's, it's the talking to people part that I like. It's not the necessarily talking to celebrity that I like. And what I really found was that what, what's the thing I like talking the most about? So I'd be on a red carpet and I'd be interviewing a celebrity and most of the time they're great and they're, you know, they know how to play the game and they're ready to have a good conversation. But every once in a while, I wouldn't know. I hadn't seen the show or hadn't seen the movie because they don't tell you this. They just throw you on a carpet and say, go interview the celebrity. And here's maybe some of the talking points. You don't know this person. You don't know their body of work. Try and do your research ahead of time, but you're not always prepared. So if ever a conversation was stalling out or I didn't know what the heck I was going to talk about or I felt like they weren't really giving me anything, I could always get particularly a celebrity, but anybody in the world to open up to me about food. And so I was like, this is, I love food. I, when have you ever talked to somebody about food and had a bad conversation? It's like, you learn so much. It's so non-threatening. Um, so that's where my, my passion project, my podcast came from. Cause I'm like, I, I love this. I want to do this. I want to do this all the time. Yeah. And it seems to me from listening to it and from part- participating in it, that it really is about people. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. about a, maybe one subject or another, but the, the window into that subject is through a person's experience with it. Have you Absolutely. had any, um, aha moments yet with with the podcast have you had any just moments of wonder when somebody's talking about something and you're learning yeah I mean the truth is it happens every episode there's one moment of every episode where I usually get choked up like I (laughs) I cry every episode because it's I'm it is so touching it's this thing that's um we just truly unites us all as humans but um you know I've interviewed a couple people now on the show and I've had like I learned so much from your episode about the history of Santa Maria style barbecue which I did not you know I pride myself on like knowing Central Coast I did not know any of that so So it was so cool to actually learn um, about like a a piece of history knowledge but then you know I I had my 90 year old grandfather 91 year old grandfather come on the show because he has this uh, we have a family popover recipe and I you know I learned about my grandfather on on the show things that I had you know I've known in my whole life and I didn't know these stories and it's not like we haven't had the opportunity to talk about it but it's the thing with food that lowers everybody's guard and I was able to get to a different room in his mind house you know that where we could safely talk about these experiences that he'd had um, under the guise of food I mean it really opened up those doors for us so that was a big one for me I have found that also I've also found that just hosting a podcast of any kind mm-hmm. um you do get, uh, well, here, I'll use, I'll use this as an example. There was a great Saturday Night Live bit on, it was a fake commercial. Do, do you know which one I'm going to talk about? The is podcasting it? one? Oh, no, I don't okay. know this one. It's David Harbour is the guest, and he is in this um, fake commercial where it's like a father and a son, and they can't communicate, they can't talk, they're like grunting at each other basically every day, and... And so the commercial is for a kit so you can set up as a podcast. And when they get on the mic together, they have these super meaningful conversations. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> and it's I love really that. true. I put my son on the mic one time and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're talking. We're, we are truly communicating in a way that... Um, maybe just the functions of living together, we couldn't. So Mm -hmm. there's something really magical about putting a couple of vulnerable people on a mic and seeing what happens. And I think that the subject of food, like you said, it's so universal. So nobody has any excuse to not talk. Right, right. We all eat. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's also this element of um, just really when the purpose of sitting down is to talk, you know, there's nothing, all you have is a microphone and some headphones. You're not, hopefully not looking at a cell phone or anything like that. And it's like, oh, this is, this is the activity. The talking is the activity and the listening is the activity. That's a, that's a, 
I like that kit. <laughs> yeah, that kit. I'm going to put a link to that, too, because that is such a great. It's just hysterical when they like the lighting. Everything changes in this commercial. All of a sudden, it's like warm and they can talk and they're laughing. And <laughs> it's so funny. I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So, so I know you don't define yourself by hosting red carpets, but I'm going to ask you anyway because... Oh, please. I love, I love, I've always loved celebrity I just am fascinated by it. Um, and there are certain personalities more than others that really are just intriguing. I love people. And so what does celebrity do to a person? It's got to be just crazy to be up close and personal with that. You don't have to tell me anyone's name, but can you tell <laughs> me can you tell me about an experience that was just so uncomfortable? Oh my God, yes, I can. And it's uh, captured in my reel. <laughs> <laughs> I and, and 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 uncomfortable in like a funny way. It was my fault. That's why it was uncomfortable. Um, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you two stories. One is a cautionary tale, and the other is just like kind of good fun at my own expense. Um, but so the comedian Gabriel Iglesias. He's he used to go by Fluffy. He was on this. Uh, competition a long time ago called Last Comic Standing. I don't even know if they're still doing it anymore, but he was the winner. He's he's a funny guy. Um, and we were on the carpet for the premiere of his show, uh, Mr. Iglesias is a teacher or something. Or, yeah, Mr. Iglesias is the name of the show. Um, and he is so kind and so sweet, but it was one of those carpets where every other actor came through and we were all kind of waiting for the star, the star interview, which was Gabriel Iglesias. Um, all the other cast were great, but you know, time was on, we were on a crunch time. So he comes down to the end of the carpet and, and the PR person is like, okay, you've got, you've got, we're going to do a group interview. You got one question. And everybody was kind of sort of asking him questions about, you know, what it's like to play with a family and da da da. And I said, your family must be so proud. Is your, is your mom here tonight? And I could have died right then and there because he looked at me and he said, no, I'm, I'm, she's passed. She's not here today. And I was like, my face must have, I just wanted to crawl right out of my skin and just walk away. But he was so kind and generous about it. And he turned it into like a, a funny moment. Um, but my cameraman, who loved Gabriel Iglesias, was like, I thought he was going to leave me on the spot. And <laughs> just murder. And the, what actually ended up happening is that we, we were t too slow packing up our equipment. Um, and so Gabrielle Iglesias actually came back out from the theater, like after everybody had left uh, to go to the bathroom or something, and we were still out there. So I had the opportunity to apologize, which thank God I didn't. He was like, oh, no worries. I mean, he was couldn't have been more gracious about it. But uh, please let that be a cautionary tale to research your subjects before you interview, the, interview them, especially if you're going to ask a personal question. I'm going to take that cautionary tale and run with it because that sounds like something I would do. I mean, I think I mean, many of us would. It's like the worst, uh, the worst possible question that you could ask. I think you know, if if somebody were more sensitive about it. But he he was just a gem. So I'm, I'm grateful for him. Um, yeah. And then there's another moment, which was kind of earlier on in, in my red hosting career, but I got a last minute request, like another host was unavailable. It's all sort of freelance for for um, red carpet. So you you kind of switch around different carpets that you're unless you're with an ET or entertainment tonight or whatever. Um, so one of the other hosts had something come up and I had to jump in her place. So I had like an hour. I literally, I think I got ready in my car. I'm like frantically looking up what this show was about. I had never seen this show. I'm like, Oh my God. One of the actors is somebody who I love. JK Simmons. He was in whiplash. You know him. He does. He's, he's he been scares the heck out of me after whiplash. 
He exactly. Thank you. So I was terrified of him. And then when we're sitting, we're in the on the press line, and and the reporters to the left and right of me are like, "Ooh, J.K. He's a tough interview. You know, you gotta. He's really tough." So I hadn't seen the show. It's called Counterpart. I hadn't seen it. I knew nothing about the show. I knew I was unprepared. It was like the worst thing going into the interview. And uh, I, you know, I said it right out of the gate. The first thing I said is, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared to be interviewing you. And he was like, he just, that gave him permission to rag on me for the rest of the interview. So I said, uh, um, he, he kind of gave me hell about, you know, why, why do you think, what do you think I mean? Okay, I'll be mean to you. And it's on my reel. It's kind of a funny moment. But I remember asking him, the show was about like time travel. I'm like, is there anything you would do differently? And he's like, well, it sounds like I should have started the Rogaine earlier. Um, oh, I was like, oh, oh boy. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. You know, when you said, I'm scared, I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. you said it in jest, but there's something about being vulnerable that um, Hollywood do- seems pretty averse to people who are real, you know, about like, I'm scared, especially if you're not in a position of power. Mm-hmm. Um, so good on you for, for just being honest about that. And obviously, oh it, it provided a gateway for the two of you to talk and rib each other. Yeah. He was he was actually very sweet too. But I think what's interesting about Hollywood and on the note of vulnerability, they require it is required that any actor or performer show up so completely wholeheartedly or vulnerable and vulnerable, or, you know, or else we can smell it. And it, it leads to we'll say, oh, that's bad acting or oh, we can't see that. But then the second that you take them out of the performance, it, you're right. Hollywood demands this this polished, unvulnerable, you know, PR ready little package like you are not allowed to be anything other than this this thing it's I I feel for the actors who um who are really out there making it and dealing with that kind of uh dual existence it's got to be tough yes totally um this is the last thing I'm going to ask about um famous people you have a photo with George Lucas talk to me what is happening (laughs) Uh, there that's a whole chapter of my life that I that I kind of skipped over. Um, but when I left San Luis Obispo, graduated Cal Poly, I followed a boy up to the Bay Area, to San Francisco. And um, there's not a whole lot of production work up there either. But because I had this kind of kind of slamming resume, thanks to MTV and my my, you know, internship at National Geographic, um, I was recruited to work at Lucasfilm, like right out of college. It was my first I have no idea how that even happened. I mean, I was on LinkedIn or whatever, but I think the position was, it was an executive assistant. So it was still a, I mean, it was a higher level assistant position, but I had, at that point, I had worked with directors and I had been exposed to some level of celebrity so that they, you know, I was trustworthy enough to be around those high profile people and not, you know, geek out or freak out or lose. Also, I'd never seen Star Wars. So I like wasn't a threat to (laughs) the the brand at all. Um, but that job, there were 600 people that applied for that job. There were, I think, 30 people that actually interviewed. And then the final three people, the final three candidates, we had to, my interview was six hours long. Oh, my um, word. In person at Lucasfilm. Yes, yes. And I remember I was like, I'm not going to drink any water because I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. I could barely swallow by the time the interview was over. Oh, it was so, it was the, it was the, to date, the most intense interview I've ever had in my, in my life ever since. Yeah. Wow. But you got the Wild. Job. Oh, so yes, yeah, so I got the job, and uh, we were working on a an animated um, comedy series called Star Wars Detours, which was actually has never seen the light of day, though we have f- three finished series uh, seasons. Um, but what was so cool about it is that we got to work directly with George. Like I got to be quite quite close with George and his his family and you know we worked up on the ranch and so yeah there's a there's a picture of us making like a heart his his hand is one half of the heart and my hand's the other half of the heart um I mean would he remember me today I don't know it's been a while (laughs) but we you know yeah we definitely had a a really special um four years up up at the ranch working together it was really cool that's incredible you know I think you do sell yourself short when you say it's kismet because it doesn't kismet doesn't happen over and over again like that you know I think that I I think I can tell that you're a very talented human being and that you that you um maybe see windows of opportunity and you jump through them you know just sure right at the right sure. moment I'll, I'll, too. I'll take that thank you I think I um I think I'm the biggest proponent for not just for myself but for anybody to create opportunity for yourself and then so I think I've created a lot of opportunities for myself and then I think 
the kismet comes in is what happens when when you put yourself in those positions of opportunity because uh, you can't control the outcome but you can definitely get yourself in the right spot there's some sort of cliche saying about preparation and luck and being in the right place but I don't know what it is but the point is I think Ronald Reagan said it or something. Did he? Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, he said something about preparation. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, I've heard that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I do know what you mean with making opportunity. We've both made something that that invites opportunity. um, And that, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I was just horrified. I was so scared so scared to start this. Also, I didn't have the technical chops that it sounds like you had. I had to learn all of this and somebody walked me through like which Zoom to buy and, you know, which mics to all of those little things. And I was thinking before your interview that I don't even give it a second thought now. I know exactly what I'm doing and it's just all really dialed in for this one thing. But the night before my first interview, I was just so scared. They're going to laugh at me. They're not, you know, it's all really. Oh, well, it's all those old old feelings you know when you put yourself out you try something that you haven't tried before I mean this is like the kind of lesson that you teach children you're trying something new it's okay to be afraid you can be brave and you can do it and you know you reassess and criticism isn't personal and all of those things but did you have any of those feelings when you started yours well, I'm like, did you get that messaging as a kid? Because I didn't. I didn't get that it's okay to fail. It's okay oh. that, you know, I didn't get any of that. So learning how, it's a, it's a very adult skill, I think, learning how to take criticism. Um, and one that I painfully learned. I mean, criticism is t- was really hard for me for a while. Um, and I chose the industry that's like the most criti- like the most critical, I mean, of everything. It's, the, it's their job to critique um, you know, performances or, or pr- the, the output, the show that you put out. I mean, there's literally critics <laughs> that, right. whose job it is to review your work. Um, so I now, I don't, the, the, the fear isn't that people are going to laugh at me during the interview because, I, I, you know, it's, it's such a joyful process to me to talk to people. The big fear that plagues me to this day, 15 episodes in, is people aren't going to like what I put out. And that is, I feel like the responsibility is completely on me because I'm making it. So it's like people aren't going to like this thing that I make. It's it's even more personal than just who I am because who I am is who I am. You can take it or leave it. But if it's something I make and I intentionally did this and I spent time on it, then it is. It's a deep rejection in my mind right now. <laughs> so oh, I've got to get same. past that. Oh, I'm, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm exactly the same way. I don't check my analytics all the time. Mm. But when I do, there's always kind of this like crossing my fingers, like, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> yep. you know? It's like checking your bank statement when you're in college. Yes. You're like, oh, please, it's, please, please, let there be something in there. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And it's just, then you think about people where the stakes are so much higher, where they've put so much money into something and other people's uh, livelihoods are at stake. And I mean, I just, that's, that's real responsibility. This, you know, yeah. it could fail, it could succeed. And really it's not going to make all that much difference. But when you have other people on the line, that's a level of responsibility I've never had to have. Um, you know, yeah, I hear what you mean. I, I haven't been directly responsible for, for that either. It's a great perspective. Thank you for that because, uh, it sort of changes things in a way. I wonder, um, if it, if it's a different, kind of relief because it's not just about yourself you have to think about other people so in a way it's like oh you get to think about other people instead of just yourself (laughs) yes totally and then you're just worried about concerned with keeping everybody in place and keeping things Mm -hmm. moving rather than I mean I have a tendency to want to make everything perfect I don't mean this I mean everything um Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. yeah it's anyway it sounds like we may have been cut from the same cloth I think, well, and I think you, me, and everybody else who's ever given birth to something from their brain to the page or to the to the baking tray or to the whatever it is, any time that you are taking something that started in your mind and bringing it to life, um, I think that that's something anybody can relate to because uh, it's, it's, it's the most natural tendency. I mean, we're, you know, I love that you talk about teaching kids like you're like, oh, it's this this elementary concept. I hope that that's how you're raising your kids, because I didn't know that you could take criticism. And it meant it didn't mean give up. You're no good at this. It means keep working. You you know, keep going. Here's the stuff. It's not there yet. Keep going. So I, as an adult, had to retrain my brain that the, the criticism doesn't mean stop. It just means 
try a different way. Try it hard. doesn't try. mean stop. It, yeah. It's more about them than it is about you. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, you just mentioned something on a baking tray. Do you cook or bake or both? Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. What are you, what <laughs> are you into lately? I love um, – so here the real thing, though I would love to say I'm a baker – my darling boyfriend can attest baking is so science it's so much science that if you there's no room for error um which like the perfectionist in me and probably you loves it because it's so rewarding when you nail it but when I say temper tantrum when I (laughs) don't get it right it is like don't be in the kitchen I mean I the I think the worst side of me can come out in the kitchen I'm throwing stuff around I'm a failure I can't do this so I baking is like a real real love hate for me but I but have these dreams of like I watch Great British Bake Off and I cry and I'm like I'm gonna make the most beautiful tartatan you've ever seen (laughs) I don't even know what that is um but I'm not I don't have any kind of you know formal cooking training I am um and that's always kind of been like another ego thing I'm like who am I to think I'm a cook but the thing is I cook like every night for my boyfriend and I we you know I and I love my favorite kind of cooking is actually what do we have in the kitchen what's in the pantry what can I do with this and somehow they always come out the best um so what's what what I made today I made some falafels like uh, some you know yeah baked falafels I, I I don't I'm not so great at frying I don't do a ton of frying um and then the other night we had I made a I, I donated a bunch of um uh, like tray lasagnas to to a film crew so that was fun to get to make it about somebody else for a change so I made oh my gosh so much lasagna and brownies and um this like creamy broccoli yeah just I love cooking I love being in the kitchen it's truly truly like therapy for me pour a nice glass of wine hang out in the kitchen it's good it's good times that's gonna happen here tonight um I'm thinking about failures when you're talking about like slamming stuff down I'm a failure Mm -hmm. the one of the biggest failures I've ever done was I was so new to cooking and especially to like French cooking, you know, like um, oh yeah, the, heritage the scary stuff. stuff. Yes. Yeah. So I attempted to make um, beef Wellington for New Year's. Oh, that's Eve. hard. That's so hard. <laughs> but I also, it's not only so hard. It's also it's wrapped in puff pastry, and I didn't know there was a difference between puff pastry and phyllo dough. Phyllo oh boy. Dough. So. It was kind of like, well, but it was in these weird flakes. It was sort of like sheets of computer paper around, <laughs> around a very gray, very dense piece of meat. Okay. And um, there was some kind of like a walnut pesto slathered on that also turned gray. And oh, we boy. served it and it was just, it was awful. And there were no redeeming side dishes. It was just <laughs> so, so, oh. so bad. I, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really hard, was the meat cooked through? Cause that's usually what happens is that the meats like gets nowhere near done. And particularly with a, with a, um, phyllo dough, I would think that would cook so much faster than the meat on the inside. You know, I seem to remember that it was very raw in the middle. Yeah. 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 Which some people I mean, are down with. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you literally will watch like on cooking competitions. Like this is one of the feel- the meals that they have to make right. because it's so challenging. Yes. It's like so. I can see Gordon Ramsay right now just reaming somebody for not making a good Wellington. Totally, <laughs> it's tough. But but you know what? If I hadn't done that, I may not have learned the difference between phyllo dough and puff pastry. You know, it's one of those things where it's like K check. Now you know. Now I know. Now you know. I thought you were going to say that you decided to make your own puff pastry. And I was like, whoa, sister, girlfriend, one step at a time <laughs> for the whole the whole cow. Let's you and me when COVID is over. <laughs> yes, we'll do it together. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. OK, well, um, there's one thing I want to talk about, which is your voiceover work. And I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I went away to the Russian River with a friend, and um, I think my episode had just come out on your podcast, and my friend was like, so who is this person? And I started to tell her, and we were like, let's look at her reel. And we went on your reel, and your voiceover work, I've probably heard it many times. Um, I I hope so. That means residuals. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep listening. I'll put it on repeat. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's what a crazy job. What a crazy job. Well, I just like, you're sitting in a room. I once heard Jason Bateman say that when he does voiceover stuff, it's a lot of eyebrows up, like lots Mm -hmm. of excitement. Mm -hmm. 
How do you prepare for something like that? Well, since I had three voiceovers to record this morning, I can tell you exactly how. Please tell me. <laughs> um, and it's different. It's different. I do a lot of what you heard is a lot of commercial voiceover. So that's very different than animation, which is big energy and screaming all the time and really fast talking. Um, commercial is much more calm and we're here to tell you something that's going to make you feel good about buying and it's it's a lot it's a lot that was a terrible that was a terrible example here um (laughs) but but it's it's just a different way of speaking so much so that if I were to tell somebody like oh if you were to play back the sound without the music and without the picture of just my voiceover reading for example a Volkswagen commercial um it would sound really boring because they want this for so long uh ads were like, come down now and buy a new Volkswagen. And so people are like repulsed by that. So what's what's trending now in the voiceover space is just really like the the less you do, the better. So it almost just kind of sounds like talking. Um, but so to prepare for any read, especially commercial, which is what I mostly do, I literally do vocal warmups and I, I do facial exercises to like move my mouth around my Poor boyfriend has to hear me do these ridiculous tongue twisters around the house. Um, and, you know, I'm like doing all these weird things. I look like a maniac. And it really helps. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, you you can only imagine having to convey an entire scene with only your voice. It's actually a lot more challenging in some ways because you can't rely on, as I'm talking to you right now over Zoom, I'm using my hands to gesture and I'm, you can maybe see my eyebrows raise or you can maybe see something. There's nothing else to indicate how you're feeling, how you're thinking. It's all through your instrument. And so everything that you can use on your face, your cheek muscle, your, your tongue, your lips, that's all part of um, the delivery. And so, yeah, you have, to, you have to warm them up. I mean, the difference between when I warm up and when I don't is night and day, night and day. Okay. Yeah. Well, since you're all warmed up, I sent yes. you something. My, oh, did you? My son and daughter have started. I'm, I'm going to abuse my friendship with you. Please. Um, my son and daughter started a cookie business. They are 8 and 10. They make chocolate chip cookies only. They make them from start to finish. And um, they have been getting so many orders. And it's only local to San Luis Obispo. Although maybe we oh, could ship I want you some. some. I know. And I was hoping they don't know that you, I've asked you to do this. Would you please read the commercial that I wrote for you? I would be so honored. What are your kids' names? Um, I actually don't share that on the. Oh well, they're kiddo one and kiddo number two. This is this is for you. There you go. Um, I have I have their this copy up in front of me. You want me to give it a go? Go. Okay, and so full full discretion, you know, I might make a mistake and I might have to retake. And that's, that's okay. as we've talked about, failure's okay. Okay, here we go. Uh-uh, la, 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 la. <laughs> Amy, my, 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 my. Okay. <clears throat> this holiday season, get cozy with cookie, cookie crew cookies. Let me start that over. This holiday season, get cozy with cookie crew cookies. Made by kids from start to finish, these delectable chocolate chip cookies are made with ingredients you can feel good about, like butter, flour, sugar, and chocolate chips. Buy them baked or frozen at any time. Oh, for any time indulgence. Buy them baked or frozen for any time indulgence, or keep on hand throughout the holiday season. Make your order by 9 a.m. each Friday, and fresh cookies will be available for you Sunday morning. To find out more about how to bring, to find out more about how to bring more cookie crew into your home this winter, to find out more about how to bring more cookie crew into your home this winter, visit instagramcom Lewis. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just wait till they hear that. They'll be like, "It's a Macy's commercial, Mom! I can't believe it." Oh gosh! Yeah, I mean, you know, and so what I would do that yeah. uh, for any any. Uh, other voiceover job I would do that about mm, 15 times until I got the right and I go by each line and read each line so it sounds perfect so you're gonna have to give me client feedback if the kiddos are happy if they need another take just call me yeah okay well I will (laughs) oh thank you for doing that okay so you know that I have one final question at all times I want to know what's the last thing you're gonna eat on this earth if you have the choice to to order it or to make it for yourself what would it be yeah 
I'd love to say that I have a go, like a go-to answer, but it changes. Um, and and what's on the top of my mind today, because I think I've been in I've been in Paris mode lately. I've been sort of revisiting. I just had an episode on on France, and it, there's two meals in my life that have. I can still taste, I can still smell. I will never forget the moments of eating those. Um, and so the one that if, if I'm going out and this is the last thing I'm gonna be able to eat, uh, it's this crepe that I had in France uh, almost a year ago to the day today. It was my first time ever in France. Um, I was on a diet at the time, so <laughs> it possibly could have tasted extra good because I was sort of cheating, but it was a uh, creme brulee crepe. And we were in this area of France called Montparnasse, and it's like the crepe capital of the world because the, the, there's a train that runs through basically from Montparnasse through, through to Brittany, France, which is where crepes were invented. So this little area became known as uh, like Crepe Central, and they have the best crepes. I don't even really like crepes, but this crepe was so good. So it would be this, this creme brulee almond. It was served with a big old hunk of ice cream on top and some like caramel sauce and it sounded sickly sweet but something about the savory you know that butter out there and just the crackle of of sugar on top like with this perfect crunch all the textures were there this marriage of some of the savory from the butter and then the sweet from the the caramel and the creme brulee I mean it was pure bliss and all of that while we're sitting Dining all fresh, all, I don't know what the right word is for French, but outside underneath a beautiful awning in what just looks like an absolute Disney set. So if I could just have that like, whole experience again, that would that would be it. I love it. I love hearing people flesh out those flavor memories where it's mm. really visceral. It's really right below the surface. I hope for you that you get to have another French adventure very soon. I think that this no travel thing is the pit. It is the pits. I just want everybody to be healthy and, and safe. And then, yes, let's, let's you know, see everybody from all over the world. And, oh, my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't either. I can't either. Well, the next time I see you, we will be making puff pastry by hand. And my kids yes. will be giving you hugs on your legs for helping them with your voiceover work. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, I wish I could come and pick up some of those cookies. They sound so good. Girl, we will send you some ship them on over I'll be the first shipping client that'll be my my perks of the of the voiceover job that's exactly right thank you Ashley (laughs) thank you so much for having me thanks for tuning into consumed hosted by me Jamie Lewis and edited by Chris Lambert you know this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor as we move into 2021 Please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening and see you next time.